Hi, I'm Renee. And I'm Gio, and this is Listen To Me Podcast, where you get all the greatest and unqualified advice from qualified creatives. Basically, we go through it so that you can submit your poetry and get it published. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I recently did that, humble brag. Yes, I got the email. Yeah, I'm really excited. I got the PDF of Node Magazine, um, which I was previously pronouncing Nod in my head. I didn't realize the O was long. But yeah, and then eventually they're going to like print issues, which I'm really excited about because I really want a physical copy. I'm just wondering like if we like when this episode airs, if we were able to like put it up and be like, look, Renee's work. woo, goes Yeah, I need to email them and be like, because I wanted to know too if I could like share the poems on social media and I never Mm -hmm. ended up emailing them because I send too many emails. And so every day at four o'clock, I hit my limit and go, oh, no more emails. Can't send any more. I'm just kidding. Haven't you had like a bit of a hiatus from emailing all the day? I don't know how I was doing what I was doing while I was working full time. I would like someone to come to my house with a chart, like a flip chart and explain it to me, maybe graph it out, do some like pie graphs and stuff, because I feel so busy right now. Granted, I do have an injury so now uh, instead of talking about the weather like an old person I'm going to talk about my back hurting like an old person Mm -hmm. so I injured myself and I have been going to physio appointments and massage appointments and it just really hurts like it sounds very like I'm living the pampered life but I just hurt so much and it's really cutting into my productivity what did you do I got old Geo. so if it was you... a head and nose in <laughs> knees and toes kind of thing <laughs> no I like remember in 2016 when I pulled my foot muscle or whatever or my calf muscle and it was messed up my foot from running mm-hmm. so that injury lives <laughs> in my body like a fucking ghost and it has come back to haunt me except this time it is poltergeisting in my back and my hamstrings on that side so that pulled your back out (laughs) my left foot is like nope and just like won't do what it's supposed to do so that has slowly kind of eroded like all of the other muscles are trying to compensate for it it's just really bad guys just don't get old just don't get old that's my advice (laughs) (laughs) Uh if you can help it you know, I wish I could say that I wasn't aging as well. And not that yeah. we're old by any means, like 33 is not old, but. No, I know. The things that are happening, I do not like. Yeah. I do not appreciate <laughs> <laughs> what's, whatsoever. With a soft C, I do not appreciate it. <laughs> yes. But uh, otherwise, you're good? Yeah. Otherwise, I'm good. How about you? You're relaxed with a soft X. You're relaxing. I'm relaxed. I took a week off of work, mm-hmm. which was lovely. Um, now I'm back in it and not mentally. I'm not back in it, but you yeah. know, I'm, I'm in it. I felt very butch this weekend and I watched the the Euro final. Uh, <laughs> it's the only one I watched. I tell you, baby. Yeah, I know. The, the celebrations at my parental home were quite uh debauched zealous <laughs> over zealous <laughs> zealous or like the diamond store zealous no not zales <laughs> is it zealous it's zealous yeah yeah yeah. i used to shop there at zealous <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too i actually had a professor who was the granddaughter of zealous 
<laughs> professor zeller actually yeah for real which like that makes a lot of sense because she did her degree and her phd in like cultural anthropology which unless you have zeller's money you can't do that working at zeller's is what i'm trying to say do you remember big v yeah vaguely big v was like not the dollar store but it was where you could get like cheap like just like a tchotchke store or something yeah like bins of stuff and like notebooks and (laughs) socks yeah like literally you'd walk buckets of things yeah (laughs) literally they'd be like oh here are all these like dish soap holders with ducks on them like i don't know in a bucket yeah in a bucket i remember and i loved going to big v because you could get like anything there you could leave with like so many things but but anyway they they tie your hand behind your back and you just bob for (laughs) soap dispensers Bob for baubles. You bob for baubles. I like that. I think that business model is really viable. I think you and I should. Bobbing for baubles. Okay. Okay. We got to get back on track. So today we have Ellen Kartz joining us, which is really exciting. I know Ellen through the Writers Guild of Alberta. Ellen was born in Edmonton, did her BA in Calgary and her MFA in creative writing in BC, but she's largely worked in Alberta. So Um, She worked as the Edmonton Poetry Festival coordinator for many years. She was an event planner and board member for that festival. Um, And now she's with the Writers Guild of Alberta as a communication, or rather as the communication and partnerships coordinator. In 2018, she produced and performed a one-person stage show and accompanying poetry chat book, both called The Tenderness of the Stone. That's really interesting. It's about her going mountain climbing. Um, I'm really excited to talk to her about that. And she recently founded Armistice Press. It's a small poetry chapbook press based in Edmonton that focuses on work by local emerging 2S LGBTQIA plus poets. And she recently appeared on the Eloquent Bitch podcast with Ryan Hayes, uh, which is now called Crow Reads Podcast and is available via Read Alberta. We have a I lot feel to like talk we to don't Ellen even about. need to talk to her anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you just basically summarized everything. I'm letting people know at the top what they're in for. It's uh, <laughs> what they do on other podcasts, and I am wholesale lifting it. Hey, the life of a creative. <laughs> That's exactly right. Why reinvent the wheel when you can make your own prototype, I think. I'm here. Yay! Hey, that worked. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to meet you both. How are you? Good. Very Um, good. Thank you. It's so hot here. How are you doing in the heat? Do you have? Oh my god! What is happening? I don't know. (laughs) When did like Alberta like get lit on fire? What happened? I feels like it. Oh, don't speak that into existence. Oh my gosh. Oh oh no, that's. stop talking yes i said nothing <laughs> nothing at all yes you're here on our podcast not to speak okay let's go forward. <laughs> i understand how this works yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you're old hat at this this is podcast number two for you right yeah two makes me old hat <laughs> that's... <laughs> that's more podcasts than i've been on <clears throat> Well, I just appreciate it so much that you came on to speak to us, Ellen. I'm really looking forward to kind of jumping into to everything that you have going on. I read your um, kind of like your bio slash resume at the top of the show. And Gio was oh, like, great. do you even need to email or interview her now? Like, <laughs> Perfect. We're done. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. So you're off the See, hook. You, you don't go. need to talk. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> just, Goodbye. Sing to myself quietly. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> is it royalty free though we have to ask for the pie no i'm just kidding <laughs> i'll make it up <laughs> improv <laughs> i'm really excited for this i think we're gonna have fun Gio, do you right. want to take the first question the first three questions yeah the first three questions <laughs> I don't write Perfect. one question. I write several <laughs> questions at a time. I, I had a feeling. I noticed that actually. <laughs> like, hmm, do we want to go one compound. at a time? Yeah. Or do you want? Do you want me to just read them all and then you just pick and choose how you want to answer? Oh God, that sounds like a disaster waiting to happen. <laughs> Welcome to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who would want to listen to this? <laughs> I still don't know the answer to that question. Anyone? Like, please let us know. Okay. <laughs> So Ellen, if you can tell us a little bit about when you started writing and was it always something that you were passionate about from the jump? Okay, yes. To answer your second question first, yes. Right from the get-go, I, I fell in love with language as a kid when I was learning to read. Just the, the sound of language was so musical. Like it was, and there was something about it that was entrancing, right? And I suppose you, you hear that a lot from writers that just falling in love with language at an early age. Remember, I was nine, I was in grade three when I wrote my first poem. It was the worst poem ever, of course, because I was nine. But, no, I <clears throat> Well, it was, <laughs> I was practicing rhyme and alliteration. So it was about a rabbit named Ron who ran a race and he won, of course. Anyway, so I, I wrote this poem and I was just, it was so amazing to have these little stanzas and the rhyme all fits inside these little tiny boxes. Like it, it just all fit, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I took this thing over to my, my grandma. I gave her this as a little gift and she was so excited. She put it up on her kitchen wall and it stayed there for like ever, forever. <laughs> but every time I'd go over, I'd be like, this is amazing. You know, I'm, I've made grandma's wall. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I mean, that yeah. was like that, that first experience of in a way being published, you know, mm -hmm. like just having some kind of recognition for doing something with, with words on paper just the sound of language and the music of it and the smell of books and like being able to like touch the, the typeface on old books and stuff. Just all of that combined was just so magical to me as a kid. How did that impact your decision regarding pursuing writing in school? I was in drama for a while and it was, it was fun. It was, I thought playwriting was maybe where I wanted to be. And I ended up down at the U of C and I was in their MF, their um, BFA program. I was getting ready for an acting class, preparing a monologue. <laughs> and it just felt like so much work, which you shouldn't say about acting because everybody wants to be an actor, right? But I'm working on this monologue. I'm like, oh God, do I have to memorize this thing? And then I've got to perform it. And I was flipping through the course catalog, like procrastinating. And I came across this little thing that was a BA in English with a creative writing focus. And it was just like the hourglass inverted. And I was just like, that's what I want. How do I get that? So I dropped all of my drama classes and signed up for English classes and almost got kicked out of the university. Because they said, you can't do that. You have to take drama classes as a drama major. <clears throat> so, <laughs> yeah, they frowned on that. So I ended up switching departments. And that was, I just never looked back. Oh, I wish I had done that as a student. I don't know where my course catalogs were. I wasn't flipping through anything. <laughs> it's that hardcore procrastination that works. That's oh, I mean. had that, yeah. which is oh. Oh, okay. shocked that I never got around to the course catalog <laughs> flipping. But yeah, it's so funny because you talk about the love of books and stuff. And we've had writers on the podcast before. And that's really, it comes down to that. And usually like when we ask writers like oh kind of when did you know that you wanted to write it's always like as a kid and it's always this right. sort of, like fascination and being like enamored with with books it's such an evocative image like 
seeing the words printed on the page. Like, I remember that too, as a kid and being like, this is amazing. Like somebody put these words here mm, and now right. I'm reading them. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, it's kind of like mind reading because somebody that you've right. never met before has this picture of this idea in their head and they put it down in a book and then you pick up the book and recreate that same picture in your own mind. Yeah. And I know there's no, there's no real science to it, other, but as a kid, that whole idea is just so magical. Absolutely. Yeah. So I feel like this is a great segue into our second question, which is also a two-parter. See, I didn't use semicolons for these, but I think I should have. I should have really, <laughs> really pushed the punctuation. So what is it about writing that inspires you? I was thinking about this. Um, I took a, a professional writing certificate at Mount Royal. It was Mount Royal College then. And my first semester writing, creative writing instructor was Richard Harrison. And I submitted my my midterm portfolio, my midterm project, and he gave it back and he had some like little bit of, of, of commentary on it. And I'm like, what does he mean? What is he talking about? So I went to him after class and I said, what are you, what are you talking about? And he kind of looked at the first poem and he said, if, if you look at, look at the way it's written, it's, it's, a, it's a fine poem as it is. But if you just take off the end, rather than spelling it out and you sort of let the rest of the poem sit there in this kind of ambiguous place, the way he described it was allocating the language to the realm of the symbolic, essentially creating Ooh. symbolism in that ambiguity. My mind just blown. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, I suddenly understood what the potential of what poetry could do in that moment. And I was just shaking, went running down to the pub on campus and I was just vibrating and shaking. And there was a few, there was a few of us, a few students there and Richard came by and he's like, ooh, that's it. The thrill of the word. That's what he called it. The thrill of the word. So that was, that's the thing, that thing that about language and you feel it becoming art that moment when when something goes from a piece of writing and you, you massage it and you work it and then all of a sudden it's a piece of art that thrill of the word and i love that that's that's richard's terminology but but it's that moment that i find so exciting i think we had a similar so renee and i went to high school together and grade school and we had a teacher in, in high school mr freeman who famously drove the idea of symbolism when yeah. he taught English. It was like, look beyond the words, look beyond what you're reading. And that was the first time I had ever really come across the idea of that in writing. And ever since then, like that has stuck in my mind as something to, you know, I don't write often. I'm not a writer, like I'm, I'm more of a visual creative, but it is something that like when I, if I do, I'm like, how can this be something more than just, you know, the rabbit ran a race. <laughs> and Great three won. Yeah. And won. Well, he had to win, right? Like it, yeah. It had to have a happy ending. But no, that's exactly it. That's like that that and it it's almost something that you can always work towards because then once you once you achieve that once, then you can see all the different layers that are, are operating in a piece of writing. You know, and that's kind of what propels you to keep going in a way. As a reader, I <clears throat> love that. I love to see masterful work like that, that lets you kind of live in the symbolism and doesn't right. hold your hand as much to try to explain things to you. And I think that that, that was something that as a newbie writer, when I started writing, I was like, how does anybody write anything? Like if I'm setting a scene, I have to account for every single moving part. And I have to like tell the backstory of not only these characters, but where did this lamp come from? Like I can't, that was very important. What if the reader wants to know? 
and there's no justification for this lamp to be here. So like, how, you know what I mean? And as I've progressed more and more, and as I've learned from really incredible writers, like, and been in contact with so many people through the Writers Guild as well, and we kind of exchange information, this idea of like economy of language and sort of gently steering the reader's gaze to where you want it to go, but not right. telling them everything. Yeah. Like it's something that I aspire to because I feel like if you get that, you've nailed it. I can't remember who it was um, who said that there's no right or wrong, only effect. And that's kind of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So when you step back from a piece of writing, what is, what is this achieving? What am, I, what am I doing? How am I directing a person's gaze? How am I, how am I broadening their understanding of the story in this moment or the, or the poem in this moment? What's the impact of that on the reader? How do they feel that? Where does that resonate? writing poetry and then kind of make your way to prose or have you been a hundred percent are you pro poetry (laughs) (laughs) yeah as opposed to (laughs) anti-poetry just trying to think of how that would manifest being (laughs) anti-poetry I was anti-poetry for a long time I was like I don't understand the function of it and I don't like it and all these line breaks what are people doing exactly I don't understand what a meter is stop (laughs) stop metering me (laughs) you know I I was very pro-poetry for very I'm I'm still pro-poetry I shouldn't say that like (laughs) like it stopped being a thing But I was taking a, um, an MFA in creative writing through UBC, and I went out to Vancouver for, um, for one of the, the summer residencies, and I, I took it in creative nonfiction. I'm like, well, I'll just give this a try and see what happens. And <clears throat> we sat down at the, the intro dinner at the beginning of the, of the whole session, and the instructor asked everybody what their background was. And I'm like, poetry, poetry, poetry. And he said, <laughs> you know, poetry is nonfiction. And I had never thought of it that way. And then I started to see nonfiction is kind of an extension of what I was doing in poetry, just being able to do it in another form. And what I really love right now is, is working in hybrid stuff that where there's a meeting place between poetry and creative nonfiction, just to see what the storytelling can do in those moments of crossover. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of energy that's created in that, in that, that space where the two genres meet. I started out just being very, I went into the MFA thinking, I'm going to do a poetry thesis. I'm going to do all my classes in poetry. And then I, I sat down in this creative nonfiction class and I went, wait a minute, I've been doing this my whole life and not even realized it. Yeah. It was another mind-blowing kind of moment for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> poetry is so, can be so incisive. And I think part of the reason that I was <laughs> anti-poetry for so long, I resisted being pro-poetry, was because I found I didn't really come into contact with it outside of high school. And I found a lot of what we read to be really like flowery. And there was like a lot of cloaking of things in this really grandiose language that I didn't really appreciate. And then as I got older and I started kind of exploring more stuff on my own, um, I actually took like an online class where um, the instructor suggested that we sign up for a poem a day like subscribe to the email. So then I've started like reading these poems. I'm like, that. I'm like, I didn't know a poem could be like this. Like, I didn't know a poem could Mm -hmm. be like a paragraph. I didn't know a poem could be like full of onomatopoeia to sort of evoke like a sound landscape to get you into an emotional sort of headspace. Like there's so much you can do with it. And it's so evocative. And especially because it doesn't 
always have to subscribe to the constraints of what prose is, right? Absolutely. It kind of goes back to what you were saying before, that potential for the thrill of the word is almost like undiluted in poetry because you really do get to play with the words precisely, right? There's so many more opportunities in poetry to be anything it wants to be. I mean, there's concrete poetry and sound poetry and, you know, poetry that lives on the page and poetry that lives as spoken word. And there's just, there's, it's an endless array of what can possibly be done with language. And I think that's one of the things that's most beautiful about poetry is that's what it, it, it does. It plays with language rather than trying to fit any constraints of a genre. It tries to break those barriers down and see what can be done, what's possible. Mm-hmm. I think that's really exciting about, about <clears throat> poetry specifically. Do you have, I'm, this is off script, but I just am curious. Do you have a favorite poem of yours that you've written? And if so, like wh- what makes it your favorite? A favorite poem of mine? Mm-hmm. Ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Come on, come on. Well, it's kind of like when somebody says, who's your favorite author? Well, I mean, I love this book and this poem, but it's, you know, how do you, like, you know, there's pieces that I, that I think have worked really well and have served mm-hmm. well, and I've been able to capture something that I wanted to. <clears throat> there was a poem that I wrote about um, perch fishing with my dad as a kid. It takes a dark turn because he has to kill the fish, right? But well, I, as, yeah. Mm-hmm. But for me, when I was working on it, it, it became about trying to have this the structure and the language of the poem meet the content. Because when you're a kid and you're fishing, that that again, the thrill is something, the thrill of that catch, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the feeling something alive on the end of the line and then reeling in and, and all of that. And so there's the attention in it because there's this something impending and being able to capture that sense and that feeling what I felt as a kid and then have the reader feel that same thing as they're going through the poem in a final draft of that piece what it takes to bring it home that was exciting yeah so it's, it's moments like that that's just the one that jumps to mind because I <clears throat> worked on it recently so yeah I love that thank you for sharing that talk to us a little bit about your involvement with the Edmonton Poetry Festival and what was your experience like well, I, sorry, I'm laughing because <clears throat> I know my answer and you don't, but. <laughs> I, <laughs> hey, at least you know the answer. Some, sometimes we send these questions ahead of time. Well, every time we do and people are like, hmm, I'm like, we sent this to you. <laughs> <laughs> Why are there long pauses? Why are you thinking about this now? Yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> well, I, so I first got involved in the Poetry Festival because I don't possess the superpower necessary to say no to Alice Major. Like other people, other people have that. They have that ability. I don't like, and I don't, I'm mystified by it. But she said, I'm, she was putting together this week long poetry festival. Do you want to be involved in some way? And without the capacity to say no, (laughs) I was, I was in. (laughs) Yeah. So I was, I was a a board member and as a founding board member and I was a volunteer coordinator and I did all kinds of stuff for them over the years. And it was, I'm so glad I don't have the power to say no, because mm-hmm. it was, <clears throat> I was, I was on the board for six or seven years at the beginning. So the poetry festival is about 15 years old now. Oh, wow. So that was that long ago, but being able to meet the poets that were coming in from other parts of the country or other countries, and just having that experience of being able to sit down in the same space with them and talk to them about their craft and what they do. One of the moments I remember <clears throat> most clearly was, it was in the early in the early years, the first couple of years of the Poetry Festival, they had a Poets Laureate symposium, and they brought in all of these Poets Laureate from across the country, and just spending the day with them where they were able to talk about 
um, their mandate and what they wanted to do when they were when they held that role, <clears throat> the importance of the role of the poet laureate and all of that, and being able to sit down with like Louise Bernice Half when she was the poet laureate of Saskatchewan and Laura Nielsen Glenn when she was the poet laureate of Halifax and just being able to talk to them about what they were doing and what they were passionate about and what drew them to that position was just, it was incredible just to be a part of that, you know? Yeah, I didn't realize that the, the festival had been going on for that long, like that's a long time. Yeah, I think it was 2006 was yeah. the first year. Yeah. When does it usually take place? Like what time of year? Usually the third week of April. Okay, yeah. So yeah. we've missed it for 2021, I'm assuming. Or was it virtual this year? I don't know. Well, they did. They ended up because they missed it last year. Right. <clears throat> they had to They had to shut down. And they did uh, some virtual events with LitFest in October. Right, yeah. And I, I don't know what their plan is this coming year they might be doing more in October with late fest and then trying to do an in-person festival next April I think that's the the plan I hope that's the plan right yes fingers, fingers crossed, crossed. <laughs> yes I miss it I miss like the WGA events and everything oh like that. Yeah. And, yeah 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 absolutely yeah people aren't meant to live in little tiny boxes on screens you know no. I right? like have appreciated my alone time and I've also appreciated like not getting sick um <laughs> socializing in person like it's hard it's hard with the with the screens especially if there's lag like that's just the worst the lag's the worst thing you could think of I I mean there are so many things but in terms of meeting virtually specifically to that context yeah it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me I don't have any like wacky the wackiest thing that I saw virtual meeting wise was one of our tech guys and I won't name names he screenshotted a picture of himself like looking really intently into his camera and he just put that up as his background and walk away like during staff <laughs> meetings when there would be like eight is he frozen on a call yeah well yeah. if you're not scrolling through and you're not looking it just looks like he's just like paying attention and he's not moving you know what I mean if you're just kind of glancing yeah it's kind of brilliant actually yeah it, well he played a lot of virtual golf that way I will say like he <laughs> Gio, are you just trying to see how long you can be a wax statue of yourself? <laughs> <laughs> it's very effective. Yeah, I, I thought, thought we lost it. you for a second. Yeah, I was like, oh no. Oh. You're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So can sure. you describe for our listeners what that project was just in brief, and then we'll kind of jump into the inspiration behind it. The Tenderness of Stone, um, it started out as a chapbook, a poetry, or well, a hybrid chapbook, um, poetry nonfiction about a trek that I took in 2016 to Nepal, uh, in Nepal, through a region called the Kumbu Valley, where we hiked up to Mount Everest Base Camp. <clears throat> so it was just writing about that trek and that journey and what that experience was like. And then I came back and I started putting this material together because during that experience, I knew I was, I was going to write about it. Mm -hmm. And I put some stuff together. I took it to the stroll and read it for them and it, it landed really well. I thought there's more here. So I put it together. I, I created a, a full chat book out of it. And then I talked to a friend of mine. If I did this as a stage show, would you direct it? He's like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm on board. <laughs> so I had a director, I had some material, and then I had to 
sort of pull it together and create a stage show out of this. And then I made hand-stitched chapbooks that I sold at the show. I did a, a slideshow presentation that the director ended up um, managing while I was giving the performance. Um, and it was just photos that I had taken during the trek. So you get a sense of what I wanted to really convey was, was the altitude and how, how remote that region was. And you really get a sense of that through the pictures. So then I step out on stage and I deliver this show. I didn't know if it was gonna work because it was kind of crazy. I'd never heard of anybody doing anything like this before. Well, like, you know? What was the show like? Like, give us a sense of the show. Were you like reading from the chapbook? Were you sort of like enacting your climb? Like, whoa. I delivered it like a one person stage show. And it, it took me seven weeks to memorize the whole thing, which was just, that was a whole experience in itself. <laughs> that was exactly <laughs> what you were trying to avoid by not taking your BFA and performing arts. And then here <laughs> right. you are circling back. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> right back where you started. <clears throat> I know. What is my poetry? So it's a little right. yes, totally different. Yeah. yeah like completely... I can do this yeah. as long as I wrote the monologue. Yeah. Good. <laughs> yeah that's the difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just, it was just this crazy idea I had, you know, can you write a, a chapbook that's hybrid work about a trek to Mount Everest base camp? Well, yes, you can do, do it, write whatever you want. Can you do it as a stage show? And then it became this kind of experiment, like, can I actually do this? <clears throat> can I do a show like this and have my dad show up? Can I have a, do a show like this and have my dad show up and have him actually enjoy it? And the answer to all these questions ended up being, yes, you can actually do these things. But the experience of it for me was, I mean, it was transformative for me, like as a, as a writer and as an artist, because I hadn't really up to that point considered how performance was a part of my own art. And there's, there's such a difference between reading a poem on a page and then having a poem read aloud to you. The performance aspect of it is, it, is, it changes a, a piece of writing so completely. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, as a, as a performer, I don't know, when I was memorizing it, I realized that in order to turn this chapbook of, of writing into a stage play, I had to, in my mind, see it as a play rather than as a chapbook of poetry. And so I had to change my definition of this. And so I, I'm memorizing and I'm editing as I'm memorizing. <clears throat> and I'm like, okay, wait, at some point you just have to abandon the editing so that you can get the show done. Yeah. So then I had to treat it like a script. And then, you know, and, and all of that, and you end up standing, sort of separating yourself from the work in a play, in a, in a way and creating a character for yourself, which is really mm -hmm. interesting. So you're yeah. like, well, what is what is this character doing? What is this Ellen doing at this moment? And what you know, and then being able to turn that whole thing into a play, <clears throat> sort of by stepping back from it and reframing it in your mind. And I didn't realize how much that experience or or that production in that sense was part of my art until I did this show. I didn't know <laughs> I didn't know if it was gonna work until it was done. And I, I finished the show and I was so lost in it. Like I, I have some recollection of performing it mm -hmm. and kind of there's it's spotty and I the show ended and the house lights come up and I, I I don't know if it's worked or not until I step off the stage and I look up and everybody's on their feet clapping I'm like oh okay I guess that I guess that went okay all right good <laughs> Whew. I love that that's such an amazing accomplishment I love that you're like what a wild thing to do. Like most people would just be like, I'll stop at the chat book. Like maybe I'll, okay, so I've done this like incredibly physically taxing journey and then I've turned it into poetry. And so I'll make a chat book out of it. And you were like, you know what this needs? And you just need to invent a hybrid sort of like performance poem 
sort of fringe festival one woman show situation and then Mm. pilot it to see if it works as I'm like putting myself into the work like that is incredibly ambitious yes (laughs) it was and I didn't I didn't realize quite how ambitious it was until I'm like in this sixth week of memorizing and I'm like oh my god what was I thinking I just hope I can remember this whole thing by the end and actually, I found out, I realized at some point, actually, when I was doing the dress rehearsal, um, the, the, the director, he had the, the whole script in front of him. And so I had glanced down at his binder. <clears throat> I could tell by the shape of the poem or the, the piece of writing on the page where I was supposed to be. I'm like, oh, that's my cue. Good. So I just glance <laughs> during the performance. I glance over and say, okay, this is this poem. Good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't get them out of order. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> Do you think that that changed how you were writing poetry or how you were viewing your poetry, like going forward as you were continuing to write after the show was done? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, I think when you're working on a piece of writing, I know you, you guys know this, but um, if you're working on a piece of writing, it either needs to <clears throat> sit in a drawer for a while or get workshopped, you yeah. know, because you need that distance from it. Yes. And oh, yes. working on this show, it allowed me a different way of, of being able to step back from a piece of writing and almost observe it like a reader. Because when you have to perform your work as a, as a play, you have to define it in a different way for yourself. So that allows you that kind of distance. I mean, it's not foolproof, of course. I still need to workshop. Stuff needs to have time. Yeah. But it does give you deeper insight into your writing and your own process. I would just say that for anybody who's listening and maybe like a a poet who's just starting, this is an advanced maneuver for editing your work. Don't create like a (laughs) one-person show around it. No, no. I'm not advocating anything I do. No, no. uh -uh, Don't follow my example. I'm just yanking your chain, Ellen. I love it. I I love that where you're at is like, you're like the galaxy brain. You're just, you're way, you're playing 3D chess while the rest of us are still on the board. I love it. Yeah, we'll go, we'll go with that. That sounds very positive. <laughs> Not crazy at all. No, I like it a lot. Yeah. I think that's, that's how we get people who are innovators and forerunners who, you know, are, are approaching things experimentally and going like, mm. can I do that where other people are going? Yeah, I could do that. But that seems like a lot of work. Like, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I tend to put myself in a situation where I can't say no, like I invest yeah. too much in it. Once I've asked the director, <clears throat> they've got a director on board I'm like okay no I'm not gonna do this now like you, right. <laughs> I, yeah. you book the venue and then you have to stick to it then you've got the date yeah. actually gonna yes. do the performance right yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <clears throat> yeah I love that so much thank you for sharing that is wild I don't think I'll ever do a one-person show for any of my stuff but I would have gone to Seegers had I known well there you go <laughs> I'll let you know when I do the next one yes please do yeah, yeah. please do do it on zoom so we can watch oh god he lives <laughs> in Ontario so he won't be able to come are you really oh that's too bad yeah, yeah. uh well, from from our first conversation about the heat there I think I'm good with yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not to bring it back to the weather but yeah don't get me started on that <laughs> my favorite topic before we move on, I do have one question. So what about the experience of that trip? Obviously, you're a writer that it made sense for you to write about it. But right. what made you want to create a like a show about what you've written and your experience? That's an interesting question. Going into that experience, going into the trek, mm-hmm. I knew that it was going to be a life changing thing. Like, how can you stand in the shadow of Mount Everest and have that not change you in some way? It's impossible. Mm-hmm. So and <clears throat> sort of as writers, 
we're almost always looking for those experiences. And you, you tuck that away in the, the internal Rolodex of things you know you're going to write about. So going into it, I knew this was going to happen. I knew it was going to be transformative, and I knew I'd want to write about it. And so as I was there, I took pictures of everything. Like I've got hundreds and hundreds of pictures. So to have that that visual record to come back with, mm -hmm. and I took some notes. And there was there were a couple of like little bits and pieces that were <clears throat> that became poems in the chapbook. Really, it was that first reading that I did at the stroll when I took some of the material with me. And it was just excised from this notebook and notes that I had jot, jotted down. And when I did the reading, and people came up to me afterwards and had more questions. And I knew there was more to it than that. I knew there was, I needed to tell the whole story, not just little bits and pieces and excised moments from it, mm -hmm. you know. And you can feel that, you know, yeah. as, a, as a writer, as a, when you're connecting with an audience, you can feel it when they're, <clears throat> the work and the story is resonating with them. And it, it comes out in, in interesting. They tell you about the trip that they did in that part of the world or, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I am awesome. obsessed with that answer because ah, finally I can use my $30,000 paper hat. It reminds me so much of the oral poetry tradition from ancient Greece and Rome. And that's totally the idea. Like, you know, these reconstructionist historians have this idea of like, well, how would you... And this relates to oral storytelling traditions that we see in First Nations as well. There's like a different quality to reciting things aloud in front of an audience, because just like when you participate in someone's story, reading it from a book, you're kind of having a one person experience with that, right? It's whatever you're right. evoking in your mind. But when you are verbally telling your story, there's almost an invitation for people to conceptualize what you're saying and then kind of reflect it back to you and be like, oh, this is my experience as well. And I think that you are very much verging into something that all of the authors we've had on the show talk about, which is that their writing is a connection to other people. Ultimately, that's what it's about. It's about how do I find that resonant thread between me and other people and my Absolutely. experience and theirs. Yeah. It's so cool. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you don't always, you don't always get that when it's, when it's something that's written down, right? right? Because it, you don't have that immediate interaction. The audience isn't right there to stand up and ask you questions afterwards. You know, <clears throat> when I did the show, what I found what I hadn't expected, what I hadn't anticipated is what would come in the months after the show, that um, I would, the, the flood of emails and phone calls that I got, people asking me about the trek and wanting to know about how I put the show together, wanting to go for coffee and talk more about it, because they had had this experience as audience members that they wanted to, they wanted to reconnect with. And I, I hadn't anticipated that. I didn't know that that was coming. Mm -hmm. it, was, yeah. it was fascinating. I think that's the part that really, <clears throat> for me, solidified what I wanted to do and what kind of art I wanted to create. Because when you have somebody wanting to know more, even after the show is done, even after the whole thing is finished and they still want to know more, it's, it's very empowering. It tells you a lot about what you're doing and <clears throat> what you want to do. Armistice Press. Oh. I want to know a little bit about how that project came to be. Like, how, mm. were you always kind of in the back of your mind? You were like, yeah, I want to start a small press for poets or did it come about in a different way? Yes. No, I, I, I love chapbooks. I love the chapbook form, right? Like there's, there's something to me, it's kind of a distillation of a poet's voice. And there's something, there's something um, intimate about the form. 
right? Because it's just, it's, it's a shorter version of, of, of what they're working on. So you just get a glimpse of who they are and what they're writing about and what their story is. <clears throat> and because generally chapbooks, um, they've got smaller print runs. So the cost of the production isn't as high. So there's a little bit more freedom in terms of how you can play with the form itself, mm -hmm. right? Gio, you're nodding, you know, like, you know, as a designer, you know that there's, there's more you can do with a form oh, yes. when you, you know, you take some of the cost out of it. And I've seen some beautiful, beautiful chapbooks just that really play with the idea of what a book is and all of that. So I, I love the form itself. So I was like, I want to do this. How do, <laughs> when do I do this? And how can I do this? And then um, I knew I wanted to have some kind of a, of a specific focus, but I didn't really know what I wanted that to be. And that was the thing that held me back from like applying for a grant and you know, looking for funding for the for the right. project. And then in the last provincial election, the conservative government came back on. And one of the first things that they did was roll back legislation protecting gay straight alliances in high schools. Yeah. And for me, I mean, I grew up primarily through the 80s, and it was a really unfriendly, intolerant decade for the queer community. And when they rolled back the, the gay straight alliance legislation, it was reminiscent for me of, of the kind of threat that there always was in the 80s as I was growing up, mm -hmm. you know, not that it brought that threat. Well, it did in some ways because it, it, it empowered the undercurrent of that that still exists, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought this, we've moved past this as a society, or I thought we had, because when I look out at the world around me, what I see is, you know, tolerance and advocacy and people who are friends of the queer community. Mm -hmm. I don't see that, <clears throat> that same intolerance, the same vehement aberration that, that we endured during that time but it, it was just a moment that was so strikingly familiar not a good way this is what I want to focus on I want to focus on queer voices mm -hmm. <clears throat> because yeah. there's some there were so many amazing queer voices in Edmonton and you know and, and I reached out to a designer and she was excited to be on board I reached out to people for like <clears throat> support letters for the grant and everybody that I reached out to was so supportive and encouraging of the project it felt like it already had legs, even though I hadn't even submitted the grant application yet, you know? So yeah, like the queer community, especially in Edmonton, like I often make this very, like I'm being farcical and I'm like, you know, Edmonton or like Alberta's the Texas of Canada. And in many ways, when I moved here from Ontario, I did find I was shocked at how conservative it was, um, even though I was here during the orange wave, you know, there's such a vibrant queer community in Edmonton. And mm -hmm. I love an initiative like this, like Armistice Press, I think is just another way of letting us find each other. Do you know what I mean? Like making us know known mean, yeah. to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of, that's, that's part of the, the, the feeling behind it or the thinking behind it. It's when I <clears throat> did the tenderness of stone and I stepped off the stage, I felt like I stepped off the stage and found my audience is what it, you know, one of the ways that I describe it. And I, it's such an empowering feeling to, to have that, to, to really connect with an audience. And yeah. I thought I want it. I want to help other poets find that themselves because there is, there is this incredibly supportive, encouraging, <clears throat> uh, larger writing community outside the queer community here in Edmonton and throughout the whole province. And as you say, bridge those, those communities together so that these emerging queer poets can have that, that empowering experience of knowing what it's like to connect with an audience. And that's where, that's what the, where the name comes from is that, that place of, <clears throat> Well, it's like that, that place where you feel the support of the advocates outside of your marginalized community. I love that. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a worthwhile initiative. And I mean, it's so, 
I can speak to my own experience in Alberta that the WGA and sort of the activities around it, like that's where I found my writing people. And I can even like, just on the topic of queerness, I can remember like sitting down at a table with some people that I didn't know. Cause like I connected with Sophie Pinkowski, who I've talked about on the podcast before. Um, and she was like, here's some other people that you should meet. And I remember I sat down next to the person who is now my writing mentor, um, because we connected through the writing groups and she's, she introduced herself and we were chatting about something else. And she goes, yeah, she's like, I'm married, you know, to a man, but I'm bisexual. And I was like, oh my God, I'm like me too. And she's like, oh, okay. And I'm like, we're bi buddies now. Wow. This is happening. Like, (laughs) but it was just so refreshing because that's kind of, you know, Gio and I went through the Catholic school system. So we didn't come through a very tolerant. Yeah. Oh, I mean, accept your condolences. We will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my PayPal is. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> can Venmo me that? No. Um, but yeah, like it was, it was really tough, and it wasn't really until I got to university that I started experiencing sort of more accepting things, and then kind of reconciling the fact that I had so much internalized homophobia that I like couldn't even identify my own sexuality. So I, yeah, like I said, those queer voices are really important, and giving people the opportunity you kind of spoke to this before when you talked about you know finding your audience but it's also about the recognition of the self and others and vice versa and for like kids like queer youth giving them that opportunity to read work by other queer authors by other queer artists like see part of themselves represented and having it normalized and having it acknowledged and having it celebrated I think is so crucial like and I wish that I had encountered more of that when I was a kid and I want so much to live in a world where kids coming up now have that opportunity. I know exactly what you mean because when I when I was growing up was the it was the same thing like you didn't there were no after school specials for what I was going through what I was experiencing (laughs) right like so I'd have to translate somebody else's experience into my own. And I, I didn't know why that was strange. Like, I didn't know why I didn't really understand what everybody else was talking about. Because it it wasn't my experience. I was trying to, to put myself in their shoes rather than see my own story or my own experience reflected back to me. Yeah. It's very isolating. Yeah, absolutely. It's I talk about this all the time. And I mean, like, Gio loves to put this little um, soapbox unfolding cue underneath it, but it's it's legit. This is something that I will rail about forever. But representation is so important. Because if you don't see yourself represented, you feel so othered. And it takes so much longer to connect with those parts of yourself and to accept those parts of yourself. And there's nothing more alienating then sort of like having to shave off parts of yourself and lock them away so that nobody else can see them. Like, how do you function as a wholly integrated human being when you You are, you do not, you keep parts of yourself locked up so that, you know, other people don't have to see them. It's like how, how dimming of people's light and potential is that when you divert so much energy to doing that? And I think one of the dangers in that is that it, it teaches kids to grow up feeling ashamed of themselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. And that's, <clears throat> nobody should grow up that way. Yep. Rather than trying to understand who they are and what they feel and what they want, it, they have to hide something. And that's, you know, it, and that there's fear inherent in that, that yes. again, nobody should have to grow up with. Yep. 
And I genuinely believe that there's pain in that that gets redistributed. Like people who are ashamed of parts of themselves bring that forward into how they live their lives and they perpetuate that on other people, which is so upsetting. It's just so disheartening. You know what I mean? And I don't I mean do, that as yeah. being accusatory. I mean that as being like sympathetic, like it, it, it's hurtful. And it's, I just wish that that wasn't the case. I am just glad that Armistice Press exists. I'm glad that people like you exist. Thank you for bringing this into the world. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm not sure. How to... <laughs> On the topic of the Alberta Ready community, what does it mean to you to be part of it? And what value do you see in organizations like the Writers Guild for connecting writers in Alberta and beyond? You know, I, I really love the writing community here in Alberta. And I, I, know, I know that sounds like, a, like, a, <laughs> like I'm selling something, <laughs> but, but when you look at like, one of the things I love about Alberta is the, 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 the vastness of the landscape you know, you go from the far north and it's kind of like tundra and then the, the, the southern part is all uh, canyons and, and desert and then we got mountains and prairie. But the, the writing reflects that, the vastness of the landscape is reflected in the diversity of voices and writing that, that emerge from it. And when you see it all together, you get this really great tapestry of what Alberta is really all about. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and underlying all of that, one of the things that I value so much is the generosity and support that writers here in Alberta have for one another. And I, you know, I've been at the Writers Guild for six years, a little over six years now. And uh, my first conference, I was sitting, <clears throat> I was there at the, uh, the first Alberta Literary Awards Gala. And all of the short story nominees were sitting at the same table together. Like they had, there was no like, you have to sit across the room and like, you know, shoot daggers at them. No, they were all sitting together at a table, lined up, watching the stage as this little, you know, lineup of people. And that year, the, the youngest out of the three nominees won and she makes her way up to the stage and she was just, she was just vibrant. She was shaking. She was so excited and just so overcome by it. And she's up at the stage and she's gives a shout out to the other nominees and one of them at the table blows her a kiss and says, says it's all you congratulations it's all you and I thought this is this is where I want to be when you've got that kind of support rather than being like poor me I didn't win rather than you know feeling a loss they were you know the other writers were more excited for the, the one that won and it's genuine and I see that over and over again through my job I see whenever I have to post something on the on the guild social media pages when it's a shout out to somebody who's won an award or been shortlisted for something those are the ones that everybody engages with and congratulates and you know mm -hmm. that's where you see all of that interaction happening like people are just waiting to congratulate and encourage one another and support one another here yeah <clears throat> you know so when you've got an organization like the, the writers guild that provides a, a kind of umbrella for that i think that's really useful really essential really helpful and i've noticed like through the pandemic we um <laughs> we had to stop all of our, like cancel all of our programming because we couldn't do anything in person. And then we had to figure out how to reinvent everything online. <clears throat> but one of the surprising things that happened out of that was that people who were in the rural communities could suddenly attend our events. Mm. 
because we have a we've got a head office in Edmonton and then a satellite office in Calgary, and so our in-person events would happen in one of those one of the major cities. So if you're living close to a major city, you can attend the events. But you know, people up in Grand Prairie or out in Jasper or Lloydminster or Lethbridge, they weren't able to to really take part, except for maybe the conference when they have to trek to get there. Right. Yeah. But all of a sudden, we move all the programming online, and we're hearing from people who are in small towns that just would have never been able to take part. And all of a sudden, you see the, the province really come together. It was amazing. It was amazing mm-hmm. to see that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I know from my own experience, like even because I um, supported some of the events for the Writers Guild this year, which was the first virtual right. like conference that I've ever attended. It, it was, was awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And uh, like if, well, we're having Kim Furston on the podcast at some point. So I want to specially hey. shout them out because. Absolutely. Yeah. Like incredible i know that kim's back is probably hurting from carrying most of the conference on it like incredible job um kim's amazing yeah but it was like even the like talking to people and hearing what people had to say in the sessions and there were so many people who were like i've never been able to come to a conference and you know this year i thought why not? Cause it's online and I'm going to do it. And you know, cause they can't afford yeah. or they can't drive. It's also an accessibility issue, right? Like if somebody can't Absolutely. get the yeah. transportation to the city. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think the guild is such a huge hub for people. And I've heard also sounds like I'm selling someone as I <laughs> hawk my, you know, suitcase full of encyclopedias, but it's literally, I have heard people say that the guild and the writing community in Edmonton and Alberta is more welcoming than in other like major cities because it I've just, heard that too. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know why that is? I have no idea. No, I don't know what makes, <clears throat> what makes it different here. What makes it special here? I don't know. There's, I, yeah, but it is, and I'll take it. Like, <laughs> you know, like, Thank you. I don't want to rock that boat. No, it's good. It's, it's, it's working. Don't break it. Yeah, absolutely. And like making those connections, you know what I mean? Like even just being able, like you see such a culture, like you were saying in the community of lifting each other up and being like, Hey, there's these opportunities. Like, so it's not even a thing of like going out and networking and leveraging. It's like, you're making real connections with people. And then those are the people who become your friends. They become your mentors. They become the people who lead you to what comes next in your career. And it's just, I never thought of the guild that way (laughs) when I joined it. I did not understand what I was in for. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. It's funny. (laughs) We hear, isn't it, don't you have to be an established writer to join the guild? Don't you have to have books? No, no, we just have to have a pen. Just, (laughs) you just have to have a pen or not even a pen. The will to have a pen. That's all you need. (laughs) like that's all that's the only prereq completely true true. that's exactly what I thought I was I had so much trepidation when I was thinking about joining the guild because I was like well I haven't had anything published and I honestly can't remember why I decided to in the law I was like I self-identify as a writer and damn it I'm just gonna be part of the guild right (laughs) it's a leap of faith in yourself or something I'm not sure I don't know but it's well worth it if you're thinking about it we're not selling anything like i said (laughs) no 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 no. (laughs) we don't have any paid sponsorships yet no not yet (laughs) if you were to look at the trajectory of your creative career so far and give it a theme what would it be 
you know, this was the, because you, you send the questions out ahead of time. We do. Right? So I had a chance to think them through. This was the one I had the most trouble with. Like, how do I define it? How do I sum it up? It took me a while, but I, I think if I had to sum it up, it would be, it's the doing that matters. Mm-hmm. And here's why. When I was in Nepal and I'm on that trek, we get up to into like the higher altitudes. And every morning I'd wake up and it'd be like, do I want to keep doing this to my body and to myself? Like, this is awful. I feel horrible. The altitude sickness got really bad for me. And, and I had this conversation every single morning. I wake up, do I want to keep one? And I, I could just wait for them to come back and pick me up on the trip back. Like that, I could do that. And I'd say, well, a week from now or a week and a half from now, when I think back and I have a memory of this experience, do I want that memory to be how I waited for them to come back and pick me up? Or do I want the memory to be stepping foot in base camp? Mm-hmm. And the answer was always the same, of course. I, I want that memory. I want to, And so like, I'd keep going every day. I'd have this conversation. With, yes, I want to keep going. I want to remember being in base camp. <clears throat> and when I came back to Canada, I realized that um, there's a difference between talking about doing something and thinking about doing something and actually doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as writers, we often pacify ourselves with that talking about the project you want to do or the poem you want to write or the story you want to write, or we do something close to it. We do something adjacent. We do something nearby the writing <laughs> because that somehow you're laughing because you, <laughs> you know, know, you know, know exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. But it's not the same thing as doing it, you know, and it, when the, you're sh- yes. Right. There's, there's a different kind of, of satisfaction. There's a, we all want to be the, the person that has done the thing rather than the person that talks about doing the thing. I think, yes. <laughs> it's so something that I live by. Just just do it and see what happens. Yes, yeah. Like, exactly. Go yeah. for it. Just yeah. go for it. Because you don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. And I think we, I think we paralyze ourselves with that, that idea of the perfect way that this is going to manifest itself mm-hmm. when it actually meets reality, when you're actually doing the thing and it doesn't live up to that idea of something perfect in your, well, I can't do it. That's it. <laughs> Throw your hands up and walk away from it. But I think the, the purpose of that, that initial springboard of an idea is to just propel you into action, to get yes. you moving. Yeah. Yes. And then if we can let go of that initial idea and then look at the thing itself and allow it to become what it's meant to be, then you, you, there's no telling where you can end up. There's no telling where you can go. You can walk off a stage and find your audience, or you can start a chapbook press <laughs> and launch four chapbooks in a pandemic, or you, you don't know what you can do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it's, it's abandoning that initial idea of something perfect and yes. wonderful, because yes. it's not going to be that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's not. Yeah, I don't you know? know why. I feel like if you walked into a room of writers or any creative person and you went, do you think that you have the ability to predict the future? 90% <laughs> of the people in the room would say, no, I'm no, I don't have that ability. But if yeah. you ask them, would you finish a project that you started today knowing that a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, it won't be as perfect as what you envisioned in your mind. Probably 90% of those people would say, well, no, I don't want to finish it unless I know it's going to be perfect. And it's like, fuck that. Like, don't exactly. let that stop you. <laughs> and we do. I've done that so many times. And I, I think back on, on what my, what I regret. I don't regret the things that failed. 
Yeah. I learned more from the stuff that, that where I fell on my face completely than the stuff mm -hmm. that succeeded even, but what I regret are the times I held myself back from even trying. Yes. That's what I regret. Not, not doing, oh, yeah. you know, not Absolutely. acting. Yeah. Because that potential, right. You just left it to, to languish. And there's no telling what it can become. Yes. You don't know. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate it so much. I can't even tell you. I'm mm -hmm. so looking forward to being back in person for Guild events. And um, I hope you're a hugger because I'm going to have to hug you when we see each other. Bring it. Bring it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Use my huggy hands. Like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love that. So before we let you go, where can people find you online if they want to connect with you? On Twitter and Instagram, I'm E underscore cards for both of those. Um, Facebook, Ellen Carts, and the uh, the press is armistispress.com if people are interested in looking into that. Yeah. Perfection. When Thank are you, you opening up for submissions again? Well, it depends on book sales because every every book that sells, it all goes back into the press. And so when there's enough yes. to be able to, to launch another set, then that's when we'll be able to open for submissions. I'm so hoping, I'm hoping later this year. Yes. Yeah, you know. Go to armistispress.com and buy some chat books. There you go. Oh, glass, glass in Edmonton. Glass has them. Audrey's has them, and Ticks oh, on the Square has some. And uh, Shelf Life in Calgary has copies. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Support independent right. bookstores also. Thank you. They are wonderful. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I feel like I have seen you in passing. Like I swear to God, I've seen you before yeah. at Guild <clears throat> events. But it was nice to finally get to dialogue with you. I know exactly what you mean. Yes. Absolutely. I think we've probably connected on Twitter too at some point. Yes. Yeah, it's not the same, you know? No, yeah. It's not the same at yeah. all. So I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, it was mm -hmm. just so lovely getting to chat with you. Yeah, today. thank you both. This was a lot of fun. Thank yeah. you. Right. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. I feel like I'm getting to know the entire uh, Alberta writing community at this point. That makes me happy. Uh, I miss my Alberta writing folks. I definitely, I know there are people because Clay and I are talking about our impending relocation. And I know there are people who have moved away from Alberta who like still stay in touch with the guild. Yeah, because it yeah. has made such an impact in their lives. And like I said, when I signed up, like I just... If anybody's listening and they're like, well, I'm not really a writer, like I haven't really published anything, just like do it. It's honestly so worth it. And I can honestly say that. So now I've had four pieces published, which sounds weird even to my own ears to say that. Ooh, ooh. Thank you. <laughs> and um, I honestly can say that that would not have happened if not for my involvement with the Guild. Everyone that I've met directly and indirectly through my association with the Writers Guild here has pushed me and made me a better writer and gotten me to the point that I am and to the point that I will be because I feel I don't know I feel like it sounds weird but I have this like misplaced confidence that I'm gonna make it and if you can make it in Alberta you can make it anywhere no, you, you have to have that in your head though you I think you to. do you yeah. have to be delusional because then it yes. creates it creates the reality well it's in the doing just like ellen said right because yeah. if you aren't deluded to some degree that you're like yeah of course i can do this and then you go ahead and do it you will stop yourself at every turn and opportunity will not come to you man no <laughs> you have to go out there and grab it by the neck and drag it back to wherever wherever you're hanging out on that note <laughs> <laughs> 
I really hope that you use this clip for social media posts. <laughs> so thanks for listening to me. And to me. And if you have any quarrels or want to know more about how to set up your own one woman show, you can email us at <laughs> listen to me podcast at gmail.com or you can message us on the socials at listen to me pod. What is happening on Patreon? I don't know, girl. (laughs) (laughs) She has been out of the office, so it's been all on me. And I've been doing nothing except for complaining about my shitty back. Because I did write a blog post for June about kink and the kink discord. Or discord. The kink discourse around keeping kink out of pride, which I vehemently disagree with, even though I do not have a diaper kink. I do not shame. And Gio and I are recording bonus episodes. This is coming out in August, so this is like- I should know. I should yeah. know what I'm doing, and I don't. We released a bonus episode through the Listen to Me Watch series with Howie Davis, where we reviewed or we talked about the movie Mixed Up that he produced, starred in, and was basically like, talk about one woman show. Uh, He produced, (laughs) he wrote it. He wrote incredible poetry to go with the Mm -hmm. visuals. Like, yeah, it's a whole, it is truly like a multimedia production. That was released the same day as the uh, interview that we did with him as well. This month in August, we're going to be releasing another bonus episode that is a a clip show um, that is basically the lost conversations, funny tidbits. The stuff I didn't want to show you. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff that our lawyers said, please don't put this on the internet. You'll never get it off. (laughs) Well, you might get off by listening to it. So head to our Patreon. Yes. (laughs) And as always, the music in this episode is gallantly provided by audionautics.com. I like what you did there. (laughs) Thanks so much. I know how to use a thesaurus. Bye. Okay, bye. (laughs) Bye.